Hey there, travelers. I'm Isabella. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. And this is True Crime International. So, Isabella, where are you taking us today? So, today we're headed to South Korea for a case that I selected before I even fully dove into it, solely because of memes. I read that. I read the first paragraph about this case on, like, like just the just the TLDR paragraph on this case on a on Wikipedia, and I was just like, I have to do this. The memes, the memes, (laughs) and the memes. Yeah, the memes will become clear later. Well, actually, no, because you can see it in the title of this episode. We're talking about a man today who ate the rich. I love that. Allegedly. 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 Uh. (laughs) This case is one of the most infamous in South Korea's history, and I would equate it to Jeffrey Dahmer-level infamy. And I chose Jeffrey Dahmer specifically because of the eating of people. (laughs) Allegedly. I thought you might have. Oh, God. They've made a film about this serial killer. He's often referenced in pop culture. And I actually saw in my research that a lot of South Koreans can't name very many like individual K-pop idols. But you say this guy's name and everyone's like, oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, so So, he's like famous. Oh, he's very famous. Like, I'm I'm serious. This is like Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, even if people don't know the case necessarily, they know his name. Gotcha. Gotcha. So today we're talking about serial killer Yu Young-chu. Yu was born in Seoul, South Korea on April 18th in 1970. Soon after he was born, his parents split up and he and his siblings went to live with their grandmother for a few years until their father was finally able to take them in. Yu's childhood was rough. While I couldn't find any evidence of abuse, his family was constantly struggling financially, which led to a lot of bullying in school. He found refuge actually in art, and he loved to do things like paint and draw and sing and play the guitar. I don't know much about his musical ability, but I've actually seen some of his paintings and drawings, and I can say that he is a very talented artist. Serial killers are like always artists for some week for some reason. I feel there like are studies on that. There are studies on that, but I didn't dive into them for this episode. I, I should have. We'll do that as an extra. I've seen studies, but I didn't read them. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it has to do with like a release of expression that maybe they have a harder time exhibiting otherwise. Yeah. Because like there's definitely that- emotional <laughs> issues a lot of times in serial killers. There are studies done on this, so maybe we'll do an extra about why uh, serial killers are often artists. But he he was actually very talented. And I'll post some of his artwork to our Instagram so you can check it out. Yu is a horrible person, but he's talented. You can't deny that. I mean, it's it's separating art from the artist. Like, Like Coco Chanel was a freaking Nazi, but that doesn't mean that what she designed wasn't beautiful. J.K. Rowling, we don't stand her. Doesn't no. mean Harry Potter is not. I mean, Harry Potter is still great books. So, yeah, yeah. 
Also, um, this is probably going to become like a regular thing for me. I'm going to explain the name, his name, um, in South Korea. Well, actually, in Korea in general, so South and North doesn't matter. It's actually the surname that goes first. So even though I'm calling him Yu, uh, and his name is Yu Youngchu, Yu is his family name. Yu is his surname. Hmm. Which, if you've ever wondered why every North Korean leader is named Kim, that's because Kim is the family name. Yeah. That makes that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, they do the same in Japan, but I I don't know why we have it. We do it differently. Whereas we're, if we're talking about someone from Japan in the West, we will switch their name around. But when they're talking about each other in Japanese, it's always surname first and then first name. All right. Hmm. Well, really I guess in that case, it wouldn't be first name. So Yu's love of art led him to try and enter an art school when he was a teenager, but due to his poverty and poor academic performance, he was denied entry. So Yu had to settle for a technical school to finish out high school. South Korean education, by the way, their system is six years of primary school, three years of lower secondary school, and then three years of upper secondary school, uh, which is done at either an academic or vocational setting. And so that's why he was trying to get into an art school is for the last three years of mm, secondary okay. education. And they, mm-hmm. like many other countries except the U.S., uh, they have more control over what they study as they get older. They don't – they can uh, start, like, whittling down the, su- the subjects that they might want to study in university. They do that here in Spain with the last two years of school. You can either go uh, vocational or – like, you can go vocational or you can go academic. And if you go academic, you can split off into basically, like – arts and humanities, or uh, math and science, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's nice that you get to, like, focus Mm -hmm. on one thing. South Korea is actually the most educated country in the world. I think it's it's 70% of their population has some form of tertiary education. Fun facts. I've done a lot of research on South Korea for my job outside of the mm-hmm. podcast. So I am filled with random facts about South Korea, which you'll they'll, they'll keep coming out during, out this, during this episode. Okay. <laughs> Yu wasn't happy at his new school, though, and eventually dropped out, and he spent most of his teenage years in juvenile detention centers for theft. His stealing habits followed him into adulthood, where he made a habit of stealing things like cars and cameras and cash. As he grew older, he grew more and more upset about his economic position, and he really began to resent the rich. In South Korea, wealth inequality is still a major issue. And wealth inequality was specifically an issue in South Korea in the 1970s, and it, like, hadn't before that. It hadn't been a problem. And Yu was born in 1970, so it obviously would have affected his family. With economic growth came more of an obvious split in those who lived in urban and rural areas. So people who had more difficulty accessing a quality education, which then ultimately impacted the money they were able to make in their futures and the jobs that they were able to have access to. The income inequality peaked in the 90s and so did use, well, His hatred of the rich didn't peak, but it definitely grew in the 90s, um, as as you'll come to see. Uh, And I found a lot that insisted that South Korea doesn't have it as bad as some places, but there's a gap. 
And it should be acknowledged no matter what, because the top earners make around make up around 1% of the population. And that's frustrating. Oh, yeah. And I haven't seen it yet, but I know Isabella has, and I do intend to watch it. But the film Parasite does a great job at bringing this to light um, and some of the inequalities that people face. Yeah, Parasite is a great film when it comes, it it talks about wealth inequality. Um, And the wealth inequality in South Korea is much the same as it is in the United States. So it's really easy to grasp uh, why it's such a profound film. And it's, it's just really good. And it's funny. And please don't be afraid of watching films with subtitles. It's really not that bad. I'm dyslexic. I still I can still do it. Watch watch it. It's so good. It's so good. Was that not a scary movie? No. It, there's one uh, there's one shot in it that's really creepy, but it's just it's literally one shot. See, I like, haven't watched it because I thought it was scary. It's like <laughs> it's kind of scary. a thriller type of thing. Like it has those qualities to it, which is why I think people lumped it into that care category, but it's not. It's not scary. Maybe I'll have Um, to watch it then. But I will say that I did see an opinion piece that said that, like, Parasite missed some stuff about wealth inequality. So if you're interested in it specifically, I think, like, besides watching the movie, you should also read up more about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, they definitely don't touch on everything. Yeah. Um, But how the director, writer handled it, I thought was ingenious. Um, oh, I sound like such a film critic. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was ingenious. It was absolutely unprecedented and incredible. It's the I accent that really does it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, I'm good. I can only do that because my grandmother does speak that way. She's, she's very <laughs> fancy. I, I feel like the way you were speaking is the way I imagine you to speak when I see your handwriting. Hello? Bella's handwriting is so fucking extra. <laughs> it's I, like, I don't have any doubts about that. Definitely. It's the fanciest shit you'll ever see. <laughs> Do you want to know why it's that way? Yes. Oh, this is so embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> I hate it, but it is the truth. I changed my handwriting when I was 12. I used to have more of like the very basic handwriting. It was very, it was kind of, it wasn't blocky, but it was, it was, just, it was just basic handwriting. There was nothing special about it. And I really loved in Twilight when Edward would leave notes for Bella, how it was written. And so I copied it. Stop. And I, Stop. <laughs> I copied it until it became habit Stop. to write that way. That's what Okay, Edward Cullen. <laughs> That's how I'm out of here. I changed my handwriting a lot growing up, but I never changed my handwriting like that. I've never told anyone that before. That's why my handwriting looks the way it does. And now the oh, everyone knows. No. I mean, I could still cut it out of this episode. Nope. <laughs> so nope. my shame. No. <laughs> yeah. No, it's got to stay in. That's for sure staying in. I mean, it didn't. I changed a few things here and there uh, throughout the years. Like it, it, it is not an exact replica of Edward Cullen's handwriting, but the way I write ca- became that way because of Edward Cullen's handwriting. I hate Twilight, 
but it's forever obviously not enough <laughs> oh i was so obsessed with it when i was 12 that i was like oh my god the main character she has the same name as me that's amazing and now i'm just like fell is the worst she's the worst character she sucks <sighs> yeah I don't anyway, know back to South Korea. Character. I can't keep talking about this. Seth, Seth Clearwater. He's the only good character. I don't even remember who that is. Okay. Why do I? Um, and in South Korea, it's harder for the rich to hide away. To put this into context, the size of the Korean peninsula, so North and South Korea, is roughly the size of Minnesota. I almost said Minnesota. 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 So Sorry, the worst part is that I... I have no idea how big Minnesota is. Look at a map. I thought you were going to say like Florida. <laughs> I'm just saying Minnesota is one of those states that's in 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 the US that doesn't look like a specific object. Like Michigan looks like a mitten, a mitten, <laughs> a mitten. Um so like those those states that look like blocks Mm-mm. I just Minnesota like kind of has a shape. It's the chef's hat. Say what now? Oh yeah, I can kind it's of the see chef's that. hat. You don't know the chef in in the the map of the U.S. It looks more like um George Washington's hat that like comes back like this. no no no. It's the chef's hat. There's a chef. So underneath Minnesota is Iowa, and that's the face. And then oh. you have Missouri and Arkansas. And that's the body. And then below that is. Uh, Louisiana, which looks like a boot, and that's the boot of the chef. And then uh, touching those states to the to the east, you've got uh, Kentucky, and that's the pan. And then, no, sorry, you have Tennessee, and that's the pan. And then above it is Kentucky, which is the fried chicken. I wish I had never Look seen at a map that because of the US. You will see the chef. Now. You will no. see the chef. I'm, I'm amazed that you don't know this. I refuse. I know what you're I talking about. The a pan. Shut up. Riley, I don't want to see it. It's too late. I don't. I don't I don't know how you don't know this. Like this they showed this to us in elementary school. This chef got a big belly. Mm-hmm. I did not learn he this does. in elementary school. I can promise you that. Yeah, me either. Anyway, just South Korea alone is roughly the size of Indiana. Indiana is home to six million people. South Korea is home to fifty one million people. Jeez. So the gap between the wealthy and the poor is much more prominent just through sheer population density, especially in Seoul, which is 75 square miles smaller or 120 square kilometers than New York City, but it has 2 million more people. The wealth inequality in South Korea isn't necessarily worse than it is in other nations. In fact, it's better than it is in many European countries, but the high population density makes the poor more aware of the material items and opportunities that they just don't have because it's harder for the rich to hide away, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Watch Parasite. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But let's get back to the story. So you was first arrested in 1988 for theft and then again in 1991 uh, for which he served 10 months. In June of 1992, he married his girlfriend but the following year, he was arrested again and served eight months in prison. In October 1994, he and his wife welcomed a son. But then in 1995, he was fined three million Korean won for selling illegal pornography. In today's money, that would be uh, nearly six million won or around fifty one hundred dollars. 
oh wow that was a lot less <laughs> yeah when i, I when i saw million i was like mm-hmm, that's a lot but oh yeah my God, that's a lot of money what did he do but no okay he then stayed out of trouble for a few years, or he, at the very least, didn't get caught. Uh, but then in 1998, he was back in prison for theft, identity theft, identity theft, identity theft. <laughs> but then in 1990, <laughs> I can't believe I revealed my handwriting secret on this. I have kept that in for half my life. <laughs> I have never told anybody that. Now I the love world's going to know, Bella. I love you more knowing that. So Now you know. But then in 1998, he went back to prison for theft, identity theft, and forgery, for which he served two years. But it doesn't stop there. Oh, no. In 2000, not long after his release, he went back to prison for his longest stay yet, three and a half years, for selling child pornography. Oh, Gross. God. Yes. So it was at that point that his wife divorced him and took custody of their son, rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want your child around that. Fuck no. No. I'd be out there so quick. Honestly, I'm surprised she lasted that long. Seriously. Let me just say that. Yeah, he was like in and out of prison a lot. I'd be like, bye. Bye. I actually have something else to do. It was during his time in prison from 2000 to 2003 that you became inspired by the murderer Zhang Duyong, who was active in Busan, which is in the very south of South Korea, from 1999 to 2000. I think you can actually take a ferry from Busan to Japan. Oh, that's cool. Oh, really? That is cool. Yeah. So Zhang Duyong, he was a bad egg. Very bad egg. When he was 18, he got 11 years in prison for killing someone. Just because he, like, felt ignored by the guy. And then when he got out, he committed a theft. So he went back in for six months. And after that, he committed some more robberies. Uh, But he also killed nine more people in the span of ten months. And it seems like all of these were motivated by the wealth of the victims. And, you know, I, I think we should all look for people to look up to. And be inspired by. However, I, I don't think that these people should ever be murderers like this dude. Like, maybe no. stay clear of that. You would have definitely disagreed with you, Angel. Uh. <laughs> to you, this guy was a hero. To you, the rich had caused all of the problems in his life. And he wanted to exact justice. See? And look. You just the said rich. to you, and I said to me, he's not a <laughs> hero to me. You're, you're talking about you. Which, by the way, the rich, the super rich, a lot of problems. A lot of problems in this world were caused by them. That's absolutely true. But I don't think the specific problems in his life were caused by the rich, especially given who he was killing. So let's get into that. Just two weeks after his release from prison, on September 24th, 2003, Yu broke into the home of Lee duk who was a retired university professor that resided in one of Seoul's wealthy neighborhoods with his wife. Yu stabbed Lee to death and then bludgeoned his wife to death. 
He then spent time in Kea staging the scene to look like a robbery, but then he didn't actually take anything, which really confused the hell out of investigators. So he just like ransacked the place, essentially? Yeah. He, yeah. At that point, just take something. Yeah, I'm like, I don't... <sighs> Dumb. He just wanted... I, I guess he was making it harder for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His next victim was on October 9th, 2003, a wealthy 85-year-old man named Khan Eun-sun, who you hit over the head with a hammer. Unfortunately, Kong's wife heard the commotion and went upstairs to investigate, only to catch you murdering her husband. He then killed her and went through the home to look for anyone else, and he found their disabled son and murdered him as well. Oh my god, so sad. Like, this kid isn't causing any problems. No. It's not like he made the money. His third kill was the wife of a local millionaire. This was on October 16th. He broke into the home, found her. Her name was uh, Yu Jun He. So, same surname. And uh, Yu, our killer, demanded to know who else was in the house. She was home alone, but he was never one to leave a witness, so he dragged her into the bathroom and beat her to death. After that, he had a longer cooling off period of about a month. So on November 18th, he broke into 87-year-old Kim Jong-suk's house and murdered him with a hammer along with his 53-year-old housekeeper, Bai Ji-hai. What? I'm irritated by this because, like, that's a housekeeper. Come on. She's a witness. He does not leave witnesses. But during these murders, you accidentally cut himself while he was attempting to open a safe. And so he set the house on fire in order to cover up any DNA evidence. Oh, my God. He set the whole house on fire. He was wow. like, whoops, there's blood here. Let it burn. Gotta go. On December 11th, you didn't kill anyone. Instead, he met a new girlfriend who worked as an escort. But upon hearing about his criminal past, she dumped him which ignited a new hatred within you, a hatred for oh, women. God. Also, in my research, escorts are always referred to as masseurs. So I think these women were working at, quote-unquote, massage parlors. Wink, wink, you know? Oh, okay. They're always referred to as masseurs. Or I've sort like, the only reason I didn't actually think that they were masseurs, like, I was a little suspicious but then i saw a couple places refer to them as escorts so i was like oh, okay so th this is one of those massage parlors yeah that being said though he wasn't done with the rich he killed a couple more rich people in february 2004 but at that point police were on high alert for the person killing souls elderly rich people you felt it was too dangerous to continue this killing pattern so he switched it up and started targeting escorts on March 16th, Honestly, I just have to say something. I feel so bad for sex workers because they're always the ones targeted. They are always the like, ones targeted. Why Why do they deserve it? They don't. No, I mean, they no don't. one deserves they to deserve, be killed. But especially not them. They are human beings. And the fact that people tend to belittle them is it's absolutely disgusting to me. Um, just hate it. On March 16th, 2004, you mistook 23-year-old university student Kwon Ji-hee as an escort and strangled her, chopped up her body, and dumped her body on a trail near the Songgang University. 
On April 7th, you killed a street vendor who sold him fake Viagra. I'm that kind of amusing. I know it's morbid. Oh my God. But come on. You wrestled him into his van, handcuffed him, murdered him, then sawed off the vendor's hands, put them in a plastic bag, and set the van on fire. Wait, what did he do with the hands? I don't know. Weird. I don't know if the hands were, I don't know if the hands stayed in the van or if they were just like thrown away nearby and then police found them when they were looking around. Maybe they did, yeah. That's weird. That part wasn't clear, but you know. On May 8th, you killed a 25-year-old unnamed escort at his apartment. He bludgeoned her to death with a hammer and then proceeded to decapitate her in his bathroom, mutilate the rest of her body, and then bury her near the Bongwan Buddhist temple in Seoul. The next eight victims were also escorts, and they all died in the same way between June 1st and July 13th. So I don't need to repeat what he did. Instead, I want to tell you their names out of respect for their memories. There was Shinmina, 33. Han Sukya, 35. Zhang Kuang, 26. Kim Ji Ho, 27. Wu Ku Yong, 28. Kim Mi Young, 26. Go Soon Hee, 24. Im Mi Yeon, 27. So all of these women were getting killed in the same area of Seoul, and the local escorts were panicked. I would be. Holy, holy shit. Come on. This was all happening so quickly. But they were smarter than he was, though. You called the same parlor multiple times using the same number, and the owner, as well as some of the women who worked there, noticed the pattern of that man calling and the escorts going missing. Good. The owner of the parlor reported this to the Seoul Metropolitan Police, and they sent one police officer. One. one? At this so point, upsetting. you have to understand, Seoul was in a panic because yeah. uh, they, I don't know how, but had connected uh, the elderly people with the escorts. And so Seoul was, the city was freaked out over this. And you have a lead. On this case, and they sent one police officer, I think they just didn't want to believe these people. And I mean, the owner was a man, but it like it didn't even matter. They sent one yeah. police officer. It's also really scary because like the communities can tell that the killer is willing to switch up groups. Like mm-hmm. they he wants to evade them as long as he possibly can and that's terrifying because they're like what group of people is he gonna pick next like no one's safe so the owner of the parlor arranged a meeting spot for you to pick up the escort and he went there with several employees and the police officer but the police officer said that he thought you would go somewhere else and he left he fucking where did left. He, where did he think he was going to go? Yeah, like, no what idea. Proof? This was unclear. He was like, no, he's not going to show up here. I'm going to go check somewhere else. And he just bailed. What a weirdo. And a few minutes later, sure enough, you arrived at the meeting spot where the owner said he would be. And the owner and the escorts, I mean, what else could they do? They attacked you. They tried to apprehend him. And there was a scuffle. And luckily, a police officer walking by, not the one that left, 
saw what was going on and came over and handcuffed you. And it was a short time after that that the officer who had been sent there came back. I bet he felt stupid. I felt he I bet he felt real dumb. People were really pissed off that it was the massage parlor employees that did the police's work. So yeah. the Seoul Metropolitan Police said, and I shit you not, this is a quote. They said, quote, it's true that the massage parlor people caught Mr. Yu first. But isn't it also true that we sent our man? Fuck off. Fuck Your off. Your man didn't do nothing. Your yeah, man he didn't literally do nothing. Left. Useless. <sighs> Useless. That part of the story really pisses me off. Like, it'll, it, it's all bad, but that is just so annoying. So you was taken into custody on July 15th, 2004, where he confessed to committing 19 murders. A couple days later, though, he faked epileptic seizures, so the guards removed his restraints, and he escaped from custody. Mm. Oh what are these police officers doing? <laughs> my God. I can't. I can't handle it. I mean, he was caught 12 hours later, but still, come on. Yeah. So back in custody, you proclaimed that the total number of victims was actually 26, not 19, though they only had evidence for 21 in total. So the other five may or may not be true. Not only that, though, horrifyingly, he confessed to have eaten the livers of some of his victims. That's this is where oh I brought in the memes because he, if this is true, actually ate the rich. I'm Obviously, like, there's no there's no way to prove that he ate people. And were many their livers take, missing? I don't think so. I don't know. He says that he did, but he was never charged for uh, any sort of cannibalism. Okay. So they clearly had no evidence of it. So we mm -hmm. only have his word. Honestly, the whole concept literally terrifies me and disgusts me. Um, I just started watching Hannibal. Um, I'm already on the second season. And the, like it's such good television. But almost every episode just makes me want to throw up. Like, I have such a hard time watching it. But also, um, if any of y'all uh, watch that show, please, like, bring it up in the Facebook group. I will talk to you about it because I, I don't know anyone else who has watched this show. Um, but cannibalism? Disgusting. Cannibalism is really hard to prove. I had to explain this to my boyfriend because I was talking to him about this case. And he was like, why is it so hard to prove? And it's like, well, if I told you that I ate a whole salmon four days ago, you have no way to prove it. Literally. True. You have no way to prove it. And he, he was like, well, why would you eat a whole salmon? You're vegetarian. I'm like, exactly. Why would he eat people? There's no way to prove it. Unless you catch someone doing it. Um find teeth marks on human bones and match them to the person. Or, like, find or some sort of evidence, like, leftovers. Leftovers. Oh, God, I hate that. <laughs> I didn't mean it, like, in that way. <laughs> oh, dear. Or, like, if, if the cannibal dies, like, immediately after and they find that shit in their stomach. 
Yeah. But it's really hard to prove cannibalism. You can, it's so easy to lie about what you've eaten. So we do have to take that confession with a grain of salt. And many do that we, he's not convicted of cannibalism in any way. But if he's telling the truth, he is one of the few people in the world that can actually say he ate the rich. Mm. Yep. And that's why I chose this case because of eat the rich memes. I admire the meme. I do like the memes. Admire the man. When it came to a motive for his crimes, you said to TV cameras that quote women shouldn't be sluts and the rich should know what they've done. End quote. Yes, they should. Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Shut up. Women can act however the fuck they want. If women want to be sluts, let them be sluts. I would prefer them to be sluts. Like, let them have the sexual lives that they would like to have. Yeah. Let women have sex the way they want to have sex. If If it's all consensual and no one's getting hurt, it doesn't matter. It's none of your business. Yeah. Also, like, he should know what he's done. Yeah, seriously. Over, Who over is he to talk? People? Because he like literally. literally killed people that weren't actually doing anything bad to him. Like, mm-hmm. gross. But I do actually agree with the second part of his statement. The rich should know what they've done. Yeah, but they like, okay. shouldn't oh, get murdered. Yeah. Also, like, he, well, the first, his first uh, rich person victim was a university professor. How, many, how much money are university right? professors making in Seoul? I, I mean, maybe he had, like, businesses and stuff on the side. But he, he clearly wasn't going after, like, the uber wealthy. Right. So Yu's trial began on the 6th of September, 2004. He put forth no effort to defend himself. He even pointed out... Sorry, this is really funny to me. Yu's trial began on the 6th of September, 2004. He put forth no effort to defend himself, and he even pointed out mistakes in like the locations of his crimes and the names of his victims whenever the prosecution got them wrong. He was like, um, actually, oh it was at the university, not the temple. Get get your facts straight. Oh, my God. Oh, God. my God. The narcissism. One prosecutor alleged that you had said the killing would have gone on until he reached 100 victims, to which you replied, that he had no plan to ever stop the killings and that he intended to boycott the rest of the trial. Interestingly, though, boycott. in that first court appearance, he apologized to the victims and said he felt remorse for what he did. But I really don't believe him. That's a lie. That's a, that's a flat-out lie. How can you say that you would have kept killing and feel remorse for these victims. And how can you call your female victims sluts and your rich victims, like you say, they should know what they did. How do you feel remorse? You do not. Come on. Yeah. But psychologists who have examined you, his life and his behaviors, believe that he has antisocial personality disorder. So antisocial personality disorder in a person can show itself in a lack of empathy, manipulative behavior, recklessness, And things in a similar vein. It's a disorder that does cause someone who has it to be more likely to exhibit criminal behavior. But it is on a scale. So these things can range from like, oh, that's not so bad to very, very bad serious crimes committed. For example, psychopaths are assumed to have a very serious form of this disorder. So obviously that's like higher on the scale. 
Um, you checks a lot of boxes in regards to this disorder because it's more common in men. People who have it may have had some trauma. People who have traumatic. Had- <laughs> traumatic. <laughs> People who have it may have had some traumatic or unhappy experiences growing up, which he certainly did, and they'll probably have truancy issues that may affect their school performance, and as we recall, he didn't do that well in school, so that definitely could have been an impact. Despite the fact that this behavior can show itself early on, it's not diagnosable until after the age of 18. And you have to meet at least three of the criterias. And it can actually be treated, but it's also one of the hardest disorders to treat because someone with it likely won't have the motivation to go to therapy because, like, they don't really see that what they're, like, what's up with them isn't, like, exactly right because of the fact that they don't really have empathy in the same way. That totally makes sense. With therapy, people who have APD will probably never be able to empathize the same way as others. So I definitely think because of the empathy thing, he probably didn't feel all that bad for what he did. Like, I don't think he felt that much remorse. Especially since he said he was going to do it again if he wasn't in prison. So... And actually, to further prove that, Yu was forced to return to court two weeks later. And not only did he recant all of his confessions, he also lunged at the three judges that were presiding in the courtroom. <sighs> you can't convince me you're remorseful, dude. That's no, not right? how you do it. His next hearing was meant to be on October 4th, but he actually refused to go. He was like, no, bitch, I'm not going. Mm-mm, screw you. Uh, which stayed true to his word about boycotting the trial. He even tried to commit suicide the night before. They were able to get him back in the courtroom soon after, though, and three weeks later, he actually attacked a spectator in the courtroom for cursing him. He then had to sign a written statement promising that he wouldn't cause any further commotion in the courtroom. What does that statement even fully say? Like, what what are they saying the repercussions will be? feel like he would have no motivation to actually listen to that none at all prosecutors requested the death penalty and you thanked them for it prosecutors and you both got their wish on december 13th 2004 you was convicted of 20 murders and sentenced to death Despite people's relief that Yu was never going to be a free man again, his sentencing of the death penalty reignited the debate over the death penalty in South Korea. To this day, the death penalty is still legal, but it actually hasn't been carried out since 1997. There were many South Koreans who wanted the death penalty abolished, but only after Yu was killed because of the horrific nature of his crimes. Others say that he should just rot in prison, and there are others who are just fully gung-ho for the death penalty and want it on you no matter what. And it's actually kind of funny. They're like, they're like, abolish the death penalty, but get him out of the way first. Yeah. <laughs> the death penalty debate is still going on in, in South Korea. And like I said, he the last death carried out was in 1997. So you is still alive. He's still chilling in prison. He's only 50 years old. 
I feel like all of this, it feels like it was so long ago. Well, I hope but, he dies there. Yeah, I hope he in rots prison. in prison. Rots. I, I was curious about why, um, why they haven't abolished the death penalty in South Korea. Because every few years it, it comes up and it kind of seems like it's going to get passed and then it gets struck down. And I don't know this for sure. I'm just speculating. So any South Koreans out there who can give me a firm yay or nay or like somewhere in between, whatever the answer is, let me know. But I wonder if ultimately they're keeping it around because of North Korea, because they are still at war technically. Yeah, true. The Korean War never actually ended. It's the longest ceasefire in history. Huh. Like um, South Korea has mandatory uh, military service because they are technically still at war with North Korea. So I wonder if they keep the death penalty around as sort of like a just-in-case thing, you know? Um, I also, like, there are a lot of, like, laws that are still in, in fact, like, in the U.S., and they haven't actually been enacted on in, like, forever. But, like, they just haven't done anything about them. So it could be a similar thing there, too. I'm wondering if it's, like, it would cause too much commotion to try and do anything about it. So they just leave it and hope that no one thinks about it. Yeah. I mean, they're not killing people anyway. It's not, like, the death penalty is still a huge debate in the U.S., and every mm -hmm. few years it kind of comes up, like maybe we should get rid of it. But during that time, people are still being put to death in the U.S. Yeah. Where this is still a debate in South Korea, but no one's being put to death. They're just not acting on it. No. I mean, South Korea is more advanced than the United States, so. Yeah. <laughs> they are. I mean, they're definitely not free of problems, i.e. North Korea. And other things as well, obviously societal issues as well. But in many ways, they are way more advanced than the United States. Well done, South Korea. Actually, in my research on South Korea for all my stuff for my job, I was really surprised to learn that following the Korean War, well, the, the, cease, the ceasefire of the Korean War, North Korea was doing great right after the war. Mm -hmm. They were in a wonderful economic position and South Korea was uh, very poor. There was a lot of famine. It was a really rough time for South Korea. That really surprised me. And then the roles switched as capitalism became more powerful and the Soviet Union, which backed North Korea, died. Yeah. Makes sense, though. So like I said, you is still alive and well and in prison. There's currently no plan that I could find anywhere of him uh, being executed. And the death penalty debate continues on. Um, I personally think, though, he should just rot in prison. If he thanked the prosecutors for the death penalty request, then he clearly wants it. So don't give it to him. Yeah. That's the only reason why I oppose the death penalty. I mean, I don't, like, have really anything against it. It's just that I think having to sit in prison for a life sentence is a worse punishment yeah I, the death penalty is like an easy out i also i think um the biggest problem with the death penalty is uh when people have been wrongfully accused and then they face it and then they 
could possibly be killed for something they never actually did. So I yeah. think that's definitely... I, I don't like it, personally. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a fan. Not a fan. So yeah, that is the case of Yu Yongchu. And he's pretty darn infamous in South Korea. He's also known as the raincoat killer because uh, going to one of his court proceedings, I believe, I think that's where he was going. doesn't matter. He was pictured wearing a yellow raincoat. So he's called the raincoat killer. That's weird. Which, yeah. I know. The picture of like, someone who murdered like 25 people wearing I just, a yellow raincoat to court. I just kind of picture Curious George. Yeah. Like it, it kind of sounds adorable. But that's what, <laughs> that's why I like it because we give serial killers cool names. And I feel like that's a really bad idea. Yeah, well, it is. Um, it's funny because there's also some serial killers who like want a cool name. And so they try and make up a cool name for themselves, mm-hmm. like BTK. But it's not Zodiac. as cool as if, you, yeah, it's not as cool if, if you're making it up yourselves. Like BTK literally wrote letters to the police and are like and was like, here are some options for a cool nickname for me. Like, mm-hmm. dude, that just makes you It's also like they want to be known. So it's so irritating. Like, let's not name serial killers anything interesting and let's focus on their victims and getting them justice. Yeah, don't we're gonna name them. Let's make the names really stupid yeah. just to piss them off. <laughs> You is the raincoat killer, and I think that is perfect. Because it's not even about his crimes. He just no. wore a raincoat, and he and they were like, yeah, you're the raincoat killer now. <laughs> Smart. So if you want to, we would really like it if you did. You can come follow us on social media at TrueCrimeINTL on Twitter and Instagram. We also have a Facebook group just called True Crime International. And you can join that group and come talk to us about all of these cases or, or any other cases. Hannibal. Um, or Hannibal. Or Hannibal. If, <laughs> if you're Korean, I would love to hear your take on this case. Um, we also have a Patreon now. Currently, there's only one level, which is $5 a month. And if you sign up, you will get a bonus episode every month, plus extra bonus content and a shout out on the show. We would also really appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as that really helps boost the show and helps more people find us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we hope you learned something new. And we hope you enjoyed your stay here at True Crime International. 